Again, I am fired up this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to be here with you guys. I'm excited what's happening in the life of our church. Uh, I'm excited that it's almost fall. Uh, anybody excited about that part as well? Uh, I mean, guys, I, 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 I sweat a lot. And, and so October, I mean, it's supposed to be next week. We're supposed to get down to 70, so I'm fired up about that. Uh, but man, the Lord has done so much here and hope he's working in your life as well as we submit to him. And this morning, uh, I'm really, really uh, ambitious and enthusiastic, excited about our new teaching series on Ecclesiastes, and that's a book in the Old Testament. And so as you scroll there with your thumb or as you turn there in your copy of the Bible, uh, please turn to that. And if you're not sure where that is, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, Bible's in two parts, Old and New. This is in the Old, old part, the Old Testament. And if you flip your Bible to the book of Psalms, and you keep going towards the back, you'll go Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And this is a difficult passage of Scripture. It's a difficult book in the Bible. And kind of giving you a preview is that we're going to be studying this until December 23rd, okay? And, and one of my objectives as your pastor is to help you understand Scripture, because most of us don't. Let's just be real. I grew up like that. You grew up like that. Maybe you're still there. And so we're going to be studying the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to take our time because there's so much truth, so much wisdom in there for us. Uh, every week's going to be a new theme, a new week. Uh, and then after that, in January, we'll be starting First Peter. You may be thinking to yourself, but pastor, it's Christmas. We've got to talk about Jesus in the manger. Believe me, we will, because Ecclesiastes points to the Prince of Peace. And we're going to be dealing with that text in a lot of different ways. And so this morning, uh, we begin in chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to do the whole chapter this morning. I'm going to talk fast. You listen fast. And uh, hopefully, as we glean truth out of this text this morning, uh, it will change you as much as it's been affecting me over the last month or so that I've been studying. Now, how many of you guys, just, just by show of hands, would rather be at the beach right now? Just kind of raise your hand. Man, not as many as I thought. Let's just be honest again. How many of you guys are in the be- at the beach in your mind right now? Just raise your hand. All right, that's even better. Uh, some of you guys, uh, how many of you guys are beach people? Raise your hand. Mountain people, raise your hand. Okay, all right, I'm with you on that. I'm probably more of a mountain guy. I don't understand why people want to lay in the hot sun in July. That is just not logical. Are y'all with me on that? I mean, there's sand, there's bugs, there's heat, and you want to sit in it. What's wrong with y'all? You know what I mean? So all that, I mean, but some of us, you know, that's just you. I'm not going to judge, but I am. And, um, you know, God gives air conditioning. You need to use that. I believe we need to expend that until it's ended. And one of the things when you go to the beach, and uh, we were at the beach a few weeks ago, is that you see these parents with like uh, three or four young kids, and we're out of that zone in our lives, so now our kids can carry their own stuff if they want it. If not, that's up to you. And, uh, but have you noticed they bring like a U-Haul truck onto the beach? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? They open up the U-Haul truck, and they have a tent, there's McDonald's, there's radios, there's chairs, there's blankets, there's a hospital, all the things that you think you will need at the beach, and some of you are like that, and they literally sit there all day, and it's not because they're enjoying the heat, it's because they don't want to pack it back up, that's why they sit there all day. Um, but when I was a kid, we'd go to the beach, and one of the things as children, and even as adults, and especially teenagers, I think you still do this, is that we would build sandcastles. Y'all remember doing that? Maybe you still do that. And you always had the bucket and the shovel and the scoop. And, uh, and if you were like me, it's like a piece of hard plastic, you know, just something to dig with. And uh, we had cookie cutters. Y'all remember those? You'd roll out the dough, you'd put the cookie cutter, and you'd have the different shapes, and then you would cook those. Maybe you still do that with your kids. We're lazy. We just buy them pre-made. And, uh, and, 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 and 
we would take cookie cutters and we'd make different shapes on the beach. Now they actually have sand equipment, sand castle equipment. Y'all with me on this, right? You know what I'm talking about. They bring the little things and you got a turtle there and a starfish there and a castle here. I mean, it's gotten high tech, the sand castle building stuff. But as they build these sand castles, I mean, even people bring dye, you know, the coloring, food coloring dye, and they'll color moats and color. I mean, it's just Boom, blows my mind with sandcastles. Now, I want you to imagine something for a second. You've gotten online, and maybe you're a HGTV family, where our family is, and they have the HGTV Dream Home Challenge. Have you all ever registered for that or tried to win that? I've given up on it because I've done it for the last five years, and they keep telling me no. But imagine for a moment, you win the HGTV Dream Home, and it's at the beach of your choice. And so for the next 30 years, because you've won this Dream Home Challenge, you get to retire to the beach and actually live on it. How cool would that be? You're in your wonderful mansion there. You've got all the perks that you could possibly want. And so because you love the beach so much, you're going to go out to the beach every day because, my goodness, you've been provided this home on this wonderful beach. There's sandy shores, and let's just say it's an ideal place where it's only 75 degrees and the water's 83. So if you get too chilly, you jump in. That's how it should be. And so all that's had and done, you're going to go out every day, and you're going to build a sandcastle. That's your purpose in life now to build sandcastles because your purpose in life building a sandcastle means in 30, 40 years after you pass on, not, you, this house may sell, but this sandcastle is going to be there forever because you spent a lot of time in it. So in your architectural sandcastle mind, you've developed this entire plan of building a sandcastle. You've got these, the moat in place. You've got the drawbridge in place. You've got the castle in place. My goodness, you're going to go buy G.I. Joe figures and put them in the castle with Barbie. That's just what you're going to do. You've got this whole thing. And so the first day you go out there and you build this enormous sandcastle, and you're like, praise the Lord from whom all blessings flow for sand. Then you go home and go to bed. Then the next morning, with a great anticipation, you load up your U-Haul and you travel to the beach to only find that your sandcastle is gone. One of two things have happened. Teenagers have destroyed it in the night because that's fun too. Or, more problematic, the waves have come in and crushed it. And so you build again, only to find out the next morning the sandcastle's gone. So you build again. And for the next 365 days for 30 years, you build a sandcastle brand new every day only to come out the next day, and it's completely wiped away. And when you go and meet Jesus, your dream of having a sandcastle to commemorate everything that you've ever thought of and dreamed about it in your entire life is gone. There's not even a remnant left. We call that a meaningless life. We call that futility. And when any of us think about life in general, when we think about our purpose and our destination and our meaning and our reason, we want something to count. Would y'all agree? But in many ways, we're constructing sandcastles, only to be washed away at the end of every day, end of every year, end of every moment. This is the object objective of the book of Ecclesiastes, is to convince us that life is meaningless. Now, I know you're supposed to come to church and feel good, right? You're supposed to find purpose, right? And that's why we're going to spend the next 12 weeks on finding our purpose and what it says in Scripture. But you've got to know something about the book of Ecclesiastes. There's a couple of things, and we're going to nerd out for just a few moments. A couple of things you need to know. The first thing is this. The book of Ecclesiastes is, is considered what they call wisdom literature. It's almost written as a poem. Wisdom literature would be considered Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, even the book of Psalm in some cases, would be considered those things that we are to live in a wise way. But more specifically, the book of Ecclesiastes is called literary pessimism. That's a big word for us on a Sunday morning, right? Many of you have not finished your coffee. 
But let me kind of explain to you what that means. There are many of you in this room who are a glass half full type of person. You're going to hit in a car accident or a fender bender and you're going to jump out and say, great, I get a new car. But if you're normal and you have a glass half full type of perspective, you jump out and go, darn, I have to get a new car. You follow me on that? And so when we talk about literary pessimism, we talk about a person who looks at life and says, life stinks, life is meaningless, we have no purpose. Specifically, if we're looking at it from a secular point of view. And the point of view of the author of Ecclesiastes, who is King Solomon, or a king who's writing about King Solomon, and he's saying this, he's very specifically for us this morning. You and I have to be mindful that when we look at life from a non-God perspective, you follow that? It seems very meaningless at times. Now we're going to look at some things that the author chased after in order to find hope because King Solomon will get into his life in just a few minutes, was a powerful man, the wisest man ever to walk the face of the planet. A lot of different things that we have to understand about him. But here's what you got to, this is what we got to grasp and really follow through in this, is that when we look at life from a pessimistic perspective, it's simply because we're looking at it from a non-God perspective. For the Christian and the person who's still seeking Christ. And so we're going to wrestle through this over 12 weeks. We're going to look at things that we've chased after that absolutely defeat us. We're going to look at how to grow wise in our faith. We're going to look at the most important thing about faith and the most important thing about purpose. This morning we deal with chapter 1 and we get an introduction for everything. Now I want to start out with verse 1 because that's where we begin with any great book, right? The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. Now, we get three things from this verse, real quick. You don't have to jot these down. These aren't your notes, but this is for free. This is 11 o'clock service, so we're going to be here all day. Here's what you need to understand, okay? The words of the teacher, that word teacher means preacher or a person who is able to gather people together and convey truth. Does that make sense? It's a really difficult word to translate. Some of your Bibles may say preacher. Some of it may say teacher, but what you have to understand, it's not translatable. Because the Bible was written in the Old Testament in Hebrew, and this is a word that really nobody uses. So the best thing I can give you is a definition, and the definition is this. He gathers people together and announces to them. Make sense? And he gives this great announcement, or he gives this great sermon, or he gives this great book, and he's saying, I, I, I'm the son of David, which means he was Solomon, who was David's son, king of Jerusalem. Important to get. But then verse 2, he gives you the theme for his entire letter, his entire book, right off the bat. And he says this. Notice what it says in verse 2. He says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now stop right here. Welcome to River Hills. <laughs> Your life has no point, <laughs> right? But what he's, what, what that's, the way that's translated is means basically our seeking, our drivenness, our, our, our life, when it's not Godward, is utterly futile. It has no meaning whatsoever. Now, many of you, you've, you've, everybody's been on a computer before. Everybody say, yes, I've been on a computer. I've been on a computer. That's how you say it. Let's do it again. All right. Yes, I've been on a computer. Yes, okay, good, thank you. You still didn't say that. All right, so here's the thing. You've either typed up something that you think is profound for social media, typed up a paper, a report, done something for work, and you've got on that computer before and you've spent hours or minutes or whatever it was, but a lot of brain power went behind it, and as you're typing, all of a sudden the computer glitches, the power goes off, something like that, and you lose everything. You ever done that before? 
You've done that, right? I've done that before. When I was in college, we didn't, nobody could afford computers until we had computer labs. And so you go to the computer lab and you would type up a paper and there was a group of students in there. The computer lab was full, probably 100 terminals, and they're writing out their term paper. The power went out and all of them lost their term paper because they didn't save it. People lost their minds that day. <laughs> I would have too. But here's what's important, and this is what I want you to understand. Just like you and I don't save a document after spending hours writing something, it's what life looks like when we have to start over again. It's the sandcastle, right? And let's go back to verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything I had written without saving was what? Meaningless. And so what we're going to look at over the next four, five, seven, eight verses here is what specifically is meaningless for this guy. Where is he struggling? Where, what has he chased after in order to find meaning? And I bet you'll find yourself in each one of these categories. Notice what he says first. Go to verse two. Go to verse 3, I'm sorry. What do people gain from all their labors of which they toil under the sun? Do you see that little phrase, under the sun, right there? You need to underline that if you have a Bible because that is a huge, huge phrase you're going to see over and over in this book. Then he says, what do people toil from all their labors uh, for, what do people gain from all their labors uh, at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north, and round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea, the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, they return again. And what he's saying here is simply this. As I look at my life, generations come, generations go, the sun rises, the sun sets, the streams fill up the sea, the sea never gets full, the water goes back to the stream, and there's this cycle effect, and what I have looked for is reason and purpose in life, and I have yet to find it. You ever done that before? You ever just sit down in the quietness of just a moment and go, does this really matter? Does this really count? Am I being successful enough? Am I being driven enough? Do I have enough friends? Do I have enough stuff? Do I have enough complacency or joy? Do you have enough purpose? And if you dig a little deeper, as we go through this text as a whole over the next several weeks, the thing that he really harps on is even your suffering. You ever stop and say, why am I in pain? Why do physically I hurt? Why do emotionally I grieve? Is this meaningless too? You ever been there? Yes? And so the point is, he's saying, meaningless, meaningless, any purpose, any reason, every thought, any pattern of life seems absolutely futile because generations come, generations go. The sun rises, the sun sets, goes back to where it was. The streams fill up the sea, the sea's never full, and the streams go back and they fill up again only to fill the sea up and never attain anything. There's no purpose here. It is utterly futile, utterly meaningless. Been there? Then he says he's chased after this. Go to verse 8. Get this. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear is full of hearing. What does that mean? Basically says, I get no satisfaction. The more I try to succeed, the less satisfaction I receive. Been there? Last night I had a birthday party uh, for my brother-in-law. Turned 41 years old. Yes, I announced that over our podcast. I did. Here's the thing. When our family gets together, one thing we do well in the Wheeler family is that we eat well. Any of y'all like that with your family? I mean, we believe in that whole phrase, we're two or more gathered, we should be gluttons. And we do that. 
And so there was barbecue, there was stew, and at the very end, they brought out an ice cream cake. And you'll find out when you make to heaven that God comes to you with a cup of coffee and an ice cream cake. Uh, it, it's just awesome. You know, y'all been there, right? Can I get an amen, right? All right, here's the deal. All right, we got that ice cream cake, and, and man, I sliced the ice cream cake and handed it out. And the more, it was my cheat day, so I cheated all day long with my food. And I ate steak, I ate barbecue, and I ate Oreo ice cream cake. And the more I ate, the fuller I got, and the more I wanted, the more I ate, the fuller I got, the full, and the more I wanted, and I was full, and I felt sick, and I still wasn't satisfied. And here's the deal. In life, the more you get, the more you want, right? John D. Rockefeller, the wealthiest man that ever walked the face of the United States, said this, how much money is enough, John D.? And he said, just a dollar more. We're never satisfied. What the author is saying here, in all my chasings and all my strivings and all the things I've done in my life, I'm still not satisfied. Now, this is King Solomon. This is, this is the wisest man to ever walk the face of the planet. He was wealthy. He had over 700 wives. He had, he had temples. He had palaces. He had all kinds of things. This guy, at his fingertips, was every pleasure imaginable. In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 3, he makes this statement. He'd been praying to God. God said, God, Solomon, what do you want in life? In chapter 3, verse 12, Solomon says, well, Lord, let me be wise. And God makes his promises. I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. He says, you will be the smartest ever. And he was. And through his intelligence, through his prowess, through his way of thinking, and through everything that he done, he were able to amass large amount of riches and a large amount of power no one had ever been like him and no one ever will be but yet he was still not satisfied doesn't make sense does it because we've all had those daydream moments if i just won the lottery have y'all ever done that before y'all be real y'all have haven't you if i just win the lottery i go build sandcastles every day you know whatever it may be well he did still wasn't satisfied read a little further with me he chased after satisfaction, he chased after purpose, and then he goes to this in verse 9. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new, you see that phrase, under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there, this is something new. It was here already long ago, it was there here before our time. And what he's saying is, chasing after something new, I never found purpose it was still meaningless now let's contextualize that for us because some of us we have that entrepreneurial spirit or maybe that that explorer spirit and we want to go look for something new and find a new waterfall well guess what you won't find a new waterfall unless it was created now the reality is many of us think that newness means good means purpose y'all ever been there before I'm going to switch my jobs, and therefore I'm going to feel better. Y'all done that? I'm going to move to a different town because the people here are evil or I'm having a hard time here. Only move to that next town, and we've done this before. Move to that next house and still see there's still problems, there's still issues, there's still jacked up people in that town. Newness isn't the answer. What Solomon is saying here, I have seen everything, and there's nothing new under the sun. But then we get to the most disturbing the one that really makes me the saddest. Verse 11. No one remembers the former generations, even those 
yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I'm a history buff, and one of the things, I, I just kind of dig cemeteries. I do. And one of the things, going by some of these old cemeteries, you can go by, and it's kind of sad to me that the weeds have grown up, and I call them the Civil War uh, 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 cemetery stones uh, there, and they're really thin, and the weather has beat down on this rock so much that it's washed away all the words, and you don't even know who they are anymore. You just know somebody's buried there. And guess what? We don't know who they are. And 200 years from now, unless you're somebody like Isaac Newton, nobody's going to know who you are either. Eternity is not within our grasp when we live under the sun. You get that? That's a discouraging place to be. And that's why we go back to verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is utterly meaningless. So how do we wrestle with this this morning? He says this in verse 13. Or verse 12, I'm sorry. He says, I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. And we know who he was. He was King Solomon. He had all his power. He had all this opportunity, everything within his fingertips. And he says, I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. Remember that phrase. You see that? Under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind, meaning this is a sorry business. It has no purpose. It has no meaning. And he gives to verse 14. I have seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless after the wind. And let me tell you something. King Solomon, at the end of his life, with all the power and opportunity he had, had probably seen and done it all, right? And he looks back at his life and said, everything is meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. Verse 15, what is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who's ruled over Jerusalem before me. And I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to understanding of wisdom and all of the madness and folly. But I learned this. Two is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow and much knowledge, the more grief. Basically put, I've looked at everything, guys. And when we live our lives under the sun, there's nothing but futility. So, in 2018, here at River Hills Church, where do we find hope? What's the point? Because even as a teenager, when I read this book for the first time, I felt like, man, Alice Cooper's right. <laughs> Some of you get that. <laughs> There's nothing here. Mick Jagger got it. There's no satisfaction. What are we doing? How do we, how do we move forward here? Where is there some hope? There's two phrases in the entirety of this book you need to cling to. The one is under the sun and the other one is under the heavens. And what you need to understand is that when we have a secular point of view, meaning under the sun, when it's no God involved in that, life is meaningless under the sun. You follow that? When there's no God, when there's no perspective from the Lord, life is meaningless because every one of those categories, satisfaction, newness, purpose, reason, eternal legacy, are all going to fall short sometimes, right? All the time. There's that constant striving, that constant trying to figure it out. All of that stuff. We dealt with it last week, last Sunday, we made this statement, and it's kind of cool, the Braves won the National League East last night. Pretty cool for you Braves fans out there, right? But here's what's interesting, even if they win the World Series, a new season starts in April, and they have to chase after that now. Complete cycle. And so we deal with this from this perspective, life is meaningless under the sun, but life has purpose under heaven. 
And that's what he's trying to help us understand through this pessimistic literary form of saying, this stinks, this stinks, this stinks under the sun, but God has got something for you when it's under heaven. And when your perspective, my perspective changes from a Godward, from, from a secular way of thinking, from a I've got to accomplish this way of thinking to what God has for me way of thinking, things change, people. Perspectives change. Life changes. So how do we begin to find hope in the midst of this? And so what we're going to do for our next few minutes together is that we're going to investigate how to solve the problem of living under the sun and what it means to take these next steps to live under heaven. Are you with me on this? Now, this is complicated. Stay with me. We're going to transition our thought processes from under the sun to under heaven and see what that looks like. And so let's deal with our first inclination, our first understanding of what it means to consider God. 1 Corinthians chapter 18 through 19. Later on in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul pens these words. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those being saved, it is the power of God. Now, let's, let's dissect that for a moment. The message of the cross, if you don't believe in Jesus, is foolish. But when we capture the wisdom of God, go to verse 19. When we capture that and understand what he's saying here. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. It means that through the power of what Christ provides for us, we have a perspective that brings about change in how we live our lives. But when we don't, when we continue to have a perspective that's under the sun, a secular or an earthly perspective, then we will continue to find ourselves in this de depressed way of thinking of saying everything is meaningless, but God provides meaning. So what does that power look like for us? The first thing is this. When we live a life that's under heaven, instead of, Having no reason and no purpose, we find that there is peace. Instead of having a life that chases after purpose and doesn't find it, we have a life that rests in peace. Now, I don't know about you. When I feel like I'm not succeeding or I feel like my life is pointless, and I have these conversations with myself all the time, do y'all? When I recognize my purpose is not in my activity, but my purpose is in my Creator, there's a vast amount and an incredible amount of peace that begins to come over me. Jesus makes this statement, and he says it best. Going to John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have what? Peace. You see that? Now, I want you to, I want you to just re-say this with me or reread this with me, okay? We're going to keep it on the screen. But instead of thinking the word in me or reading the word in me, I want you to read the phrase under the heaven. I've told you these things so that under heaven you may have what? Peace. It's the same thing. To live a life under heaven means to live a life that's Christian, that's Christ. And while we don't feel at peace and we feel like our reasons and our purposes, our justifications begin to fall short, what Christ is telling us is, that, look, and this is the objective of the book of Ecclesiastes as well. If you want peace, you transition your life from being one under the sun to one under the heaven. He says, you will have trouble in this world, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Isn't that good? Ramifications for this are, are you can't count them all. Then he goes on to say this. Instead of, instead of having no satisfaction, when you know Christ or you live your life under the sun, 
It gives us satisfaction. You see, the thing is, when we're trying to pursue the things, and we're trying to live out our lives in such a way to be satisfied over and over and over and over and over again, we never find it, right? Whether it's in a person, in a place where you live, but when you transition from being under the sun to under heaven, here's your point, we'll throw it up on the screen, we find satisfaction. We find satisfaction. Christ makes these statements here. John chapter 6, verse 35. He says this, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never, what, be thirsty. Christ brings satisfaction. Now here's the thing. How many of us in this room, including your pastor here, have chased after things to make them feel satisfied only to find themselves empty months or weeks or even years later. Y'all been there? Been there. All of us are there. What Jesus promises, you'll never be hungry again. You'll never be thirsty again. I want to satisfy every need. So I was walking through this passage of Scripture in Ecclesiastes, and I sat down with two of the wisest advisors I have in my life, my children. And we're sitting at the breakfast bar. And I said, asked them this question, and I kind of want to pose this to you as well. And I answered it right, by the way. I uh, asked them this question. I said, so when you're in a game, let's take football or softball or whatever it may be, but specifically a game with a time limit, um, what are the two things you look at the most? My daughter pipes up immediately, and she says, well, you look at the clock and see how much time you have left, right? And you look at the score. And that's how most of us run our lives, agreed? We look at where we are in life, how much time we may have left, even though we don't know for sure, and how well we've done so far. Y'all done that, right? That's, that's, I do that because in a, in a ball game, if you're behind, you want to catch up before time runs out. If you're ahead, you want to hold on to that until time runs out. Agreed? And that's truth. But then my son pipes up, and he says, no, Dad, you don't look at the, you don't look at the score, you don't look at the clock, you look at the ball. <laughs> you got to know what's happening. There's so much truth in that, too. We can look at the clock. We can look at the score, which is important. But to find satisfaction, you better look at the creator. You get that? See, that, that transitions us from a place of being under the sun to being under heaven. Christ satisfies, but he also makes things new. As Solomon sought after new things and new ideas, he found that newness ultimately in God. And what Christ proclaims in Revelation 21 through 5 is simply this. He who is seated at the, at the throne said, I am making everything what? New. See, when we're trying to establish new things, when we're trying to establish new relationships to get fulfillment or new places of employment or new houses or new adventures or new hobbies or new, listen to, boom, nothing matters. Christ is the only thing that can make things new. You get that? He makes you into a new creation. He gives you new purpose and new joy and satisfaction. He makes all this nonsense new again. And Jesus changes us in that. Finally, God does something very important for us in this passage of Scripture. Is it, is it as Solomon sought after something of a legacy or eternity? Christ says, I'll give you an eternity. I'll give you something that, well, you may be forgotten here, but the God of the universe won't forget you. John 3.16, you've heard this passage before, or maybe you've watched a football game and saw somebody hold it up, right? 
But it's important to know, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Eternal life. This is so important for us, because as we seek to make our mark here on earth, whether it be through people or through what we do, understand, eventually that's going to fade away too. Eternity rests in God. And when we live a life under heaven, things change. Things change. So the question is, is simply this, what's our next step in all this? How do I get myself from a position of being under the sun to a position of being under heaven? Are y'all with me on that? How do I make that transition? How do I do this? Well, first step, I'm just going to put that out there. You've got to understand, you've got to ask Christ to come into your life to forgive you for what you've done, do, and will do. And recognize he rose from the dead to conquer sin and death. And, and, and become a Christian, okay? But let's just say we're all Christians here. I know we're not, but let's, some of you are seeking that out. But here's the deal. Let's just say we all are, and even for the Christian, we struggle with this, right? Because I find myself chasing after all these things that Solomon found to be completely and utterly meaningless. Have y'all done that? Yeah. Everybody say yes. You've done that. Yes. So how do I get myself? What is my step here? Several years ago, before my children were born, I was able to enjoy things like this, but I took a friend of mine and my little brother to the University of Alabama to watch Georgia and Alabama play. Um, I love college football. It's one, probably one of my one hobbies, and every time Georgia loses, meaningless, meaningless life. Is, I'm just kidding. So right now, we're under heaven, right? And so all that said and done, we went to the University of Alabama, and Georgia actually won that day. Uh, but we get there, and it's, it's the heat like it is right now. And I hate going to ball games like that because I believe, like I said at the beginning of our message and time together, is that God made air conditioner and you should utilize that. And to sit in a stadium with 90,000 people on metal benches seems awful. But this is me and I was in my 20s and that's what I'm going to do. So it might be 98 degrees with 100% humidity, but I'm going to sit in that stadium and I'm going to cheer. And so we did that. My brother and my buddy went. My brother and I had seats together and my buddy had a seat somewhere else. So he went. My brother and I were sitting there and it was so hot and it was miserable until finally the sun went behind the stadium about halfway through the second quarter and we were in the shade and then we enjoyed the rest of the ball game. But there was one sliver at the top of the stadium that never got shaded. One row of seats at the top of the stadium. My brother and I looked at each other and I said, I bet that's where Benji is. He is absolutely because that's his luck. Never thought about it again. Georgia wins and we go back to the place where we said we're going to meet together. And Benji beat us to the place, and he's laid out, I kid you not, spread eagle in front of one of those old antebellum houses that is now used as a place where people take classes at the University of Alabama. And he looked like somebody had dunked him into a pool of water. He had sweat so much. And I said, Benji, you all right? And he leans up, and he goes, man, and that's how he talked, man, the sun never quit shining in my seat. <laughs> And for six hours, he sat there and cheered and watched Georgia and lost 38 pounds. <laughs> Why do I tell you that story? Life under the sun, and here's your first step, has to be changed to life under heaven by changing your seat. Spiritually speaking, asking Christ to come into your life, getting on the bus. Living your life for Christ, it means sometimes you've got to switch where you were sitting. You have to move. You have to do something. And so your action step is very simple. I'm going to give you some homework this morning, okay? You should jot this down on your little um, listening guide on the back part of your worship folder. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to take those four things. Remember what they were, right? Satisfaction, newness, purpose, slash reason, and eternal legacy. You got that? 
I want you to write those four things down. And I want you to ask yourself, are you chasing those under the sun or am I chasing those under heaven? And if your answer is I'm chasing these under, under the sun, then the change of perspective needs to happen. You with me on that? That's your first step is you have to change seats and begin to ask yourself this question. Am I looking to be satisfied outside of living for God and I find myself not being satisfied? How do I find my satisfaction in the Lord? Get it? How do I find my place there? Becoming aware of what seat you're in is the first step in moving from under, God, under the sun to under heaven. But the very first step is moving from a position of saying, you know what? I don't know Christ. And I need to have my life built around what Jesus has built around, not what I've accomplished. Because what I've accomplished, as we read here in verse 2, is meaningless, meaningless. It's utterly meaningless. This morning, if you're here and you never asked Christ to come into your life, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. On the Connect card you were given that's inside your worship folder, take a moment. There's some boxes there. One says I need to be baptized. One says I need Jesus. There's life group information there. Check the box that's appropriate to you, and we'll collect those at the end of the service. And if you need Christ this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to check that box, and I'll be contacting you, or I'm going to be down here to my right in just a moment. I'll pray with you, and I'd love to share with you what it means to follow Jesus. But for those of us who do know Christ, your homework, list out what you're chasing, and is it under heaven or is it under the sun? You with me on that? Let's pray. God, overwhelm us. Change us. Uniquely move in our lives in such a way to where we find perspective based upon you. Change us in such a way to where we find perspective that overwhelms our passions, our desires, to where we become to a place, we come to a place where we're not driven by what we can accomplish, but what you have accomplished for us. And so Jesus in these moments stir our hearts. And as we find meaning and purpose in you, I pray, God, it would transform us forever. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for this incredible text of Scripture. And I pray, God, we would find meaning and hope. In Christ's name.